get staking rewards and welcome to staking mondays my name is marian i'm the head of strategy at staking rewards and today it's my pleasure to interview Ivan shapiro the ceo of the mina foundation Ivan founded the blockchain technology company zero one labs in 2017 which successfully incubated mina protocol mina describes itself as the world's lightest blockchain using zero-knowledge technology to create the infrastructure for a secure and democratic future. Welcome, Ivan. Great to have you on the show. For sure, yeah, thank you for having me. Perfect. So uh, I would like to go in on the merge today with you on uh, zero-knowledge proofs, on uh, privacy, and also like the big picture that motivates you for Mina Foundation. And I would like to go in from a staker's perspective, because that's uh, what we as staking Awards are focused on. So um, yeah, happy to jump right in. So blockchains require more and more storage capacity over the duration of their existence, because they have to store the entire story history of transactions. Um, Mina takes a radically different approach to that and wants to use the maximum to uh, 22 kilobytes. Could you explain this to our audience in a way that a non-developer would understand best? Sure. Um, so this is, yeah, the problem that got us initially very interested in zero knowledge proofs and ultimately led to building Mina. Um, this this uh, challenge where you get this amazing property of uh, being able to verify the state of a blockchain through looking at all the blocks in time, as well as the knowing what is like the strongest canonical state. Um, but in doing so, you have to download and store and process all these blocks. And um, well, you can do that if your throughput's very low or you have a very powerful computer. You, you can't really verify everything if you have to download hundreds of gigabytes onto a phone or a browser or even a laptop most of the time. So uh, this was like this, this interesting, uh, interesting, initially uh, interesting technical and research challenge, but eventually, um, you know, we think uh, a more impactful uh, solution for people like validators and, and general crypto community. Um, the idea being that you have this computation you perform of, of checking and downloading all these blocks. Uh, what if there was a way that you could kind of cache that computation that you could have uh, that computation be computed once, then everyone could reuse that computation um, uh, very, very cheaply. And that's the kind of the idea behind zero knowledge proofs is that with zero knowledge proofs, we can have the network itself uh, have a proof running of the current blockchain. And every time a new block is made, instead of uh, just appending a block to that blockchain, you instead update the proof. And the proof um, is able to remain constant size um, independent of the amount of blocks you've actually added to the chain. And uh, because the proof is constant size, because the uh, proof matches exactly the same computation as if you had downloaded all the blocks, you can download the proof. It's a few kilobytes very cheaply. And then know that whatever state you're looking at, that the proof is attesting to the Merkle root of the ledger of the, of the database of accounts, uh, the consensus state that all is, is correct. Uh, and, and, uh, you can do that very cheaply with zero knowledge proofs, which is cool. Mm -hmm. uh, one image that I found uh, online explaining the, the technology behind it is like taking screenshots or taking photos, right? And then you would have uh, one photo within the other. And, uh, and again, you take just one photo, you see the, the new state of the chain, so to say, and the proof of the old state. And by that you have just to carry or deliver one, one, uh, 
photo and and the proof is is correct and done is that yeah a good way to describe it it's a good metaphor for it you can think about it like uh every time a new block is he's like a new photo of like the the previous like photos of all the photos um and the new transactions where like the top photo is also saying hey like you can look at all, all the photos but also uh if you went all the way down the photos you would arrive at the genesis block hmm. uh, so there's this connection between the genesis block and um uh, you know, all, all the recursive photos on top of that back to the, the current state. So it's a little bit like stepping into a fully mirrored uh, elevator and then you look into the into infinity, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We used to have like this this gif of like, you know, like uh, you would like the, the, take the previous photo and it would like zoom in and then there'd be like a, like a new photo on top of it. And then and then and that's like what's happening. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a uh, continuous you know, recursive expansion of, of what the proofs are claiming back to the Genesis. So as a layer one, uh, Mina was launched in March 2021. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, could you give us an update? Was what has happened since then? What like the biggest milestones and landmarks and also maybe the challenges that you faced? Yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we launched the original like decentralized, uh, you know, you know, zero knowledge proof recursive blockchain um, in March. And the most of the stuff that's happened since then is work getting the uh, programmability layer for this uh, ready to launch on mainnet. So the idea being that not only can we take advantage of zero knowledge proofs for this maximum decentralization, but we can also take advantage of zero knowledge proofs uh, to give developers these really great primitives around um, privacy. And we had a lot of experience uh, working with zero knowledge proofs and building complicated uh, ways to program them uh, just to like make Mina possible as a blockchain. Uh, so uh, we've been working on making that really ready for developers to generally consume for making applications that take advantage of these scaling, these privacy, these like verifiability properties that uh, zero knowledge proofs bring. So um, like, from the perspective of a staker, uh, I think one very strong value proposition that you have is uh, if the storage needed for all the blocks in the blockchain uh, grow in a linear fashion or even uh, exponential fashion, at some point this will create problems with decentralization, right? Uh, and Mina found a way to have it so lightweight that basically everyone would be able to, to stake Mina and secure the network. Um, could you share a little bit around what the moment was when you had the revelation of, of, uh, of this lack of existing blockchains and how you would propose a solution? Um, because so many implications come from that, right? And I think this is also why you stress like, uh, the part of a, of a democratic future, uh, and privacy with Mina in such a way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this goes back to like early 2017 when Bitcoin was kind of uh, working its way through its uh, blockchain uh, block size questions around uh, do we increase the throughput, thereby increasing the block size of Bitcoin, uh, or do we keep the block size the same and, uh, you know, the throughput will be low, the fees will be high, but it will be maximally decentralized. And there's this trade-off where you have this catch 22 where like you'd, you'd really want everyone to be able to use this technology in like a completely verified way. 
but you like, you know, you can't kind of have both easily. Uh, and this ultimately resulted in Bitcoin forking into Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. But uh, we were very interested in seeing, is there a way you can have both of these? Because I think the thing that was originally really exciting to me about cryptocurrency is this idea that you can have these cryptographic systems these, uh, that that allow us to access digital platforms that are more controlled by users and more verifiable and, and transparent to like everyone. <laughs> and this seemed like a, a challenge in, in scaling these systems. Uh, so this was me and my co-founder, uh, Isaac, who like was a PhD in cryptography at the time, spending a lot of time thinking through different architectures that would allow verification to come hand in hand with uh, an ever-growing blockchain. And, and zero knowledge proofs uh, due to their properties around computation ended up being a, a really good fit for that. So that's, that's uh, once we kind of put that together, it was, that, that was kind of the, the, the beginning of the idea. Got it. And um, is it like, going back to this um, very complex uh, second order effects and third order effects uh, that come with this idea, when did it dawn on you that, uh, yeah, that the whole, the whole, it's like a societal issue that's actually being addressed there, that this is also coming with it? How, how did that evolve? I, I think I like it, it. I think it was like kind of running subconsciously because that was like what I liked about crypto, but I didn't really think about it explicitly until the last like uh, year or two. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think really it's like uh, the the progress in Web three that's that's kind of brought that to the forefront, where it's it's uh, we're going to have crypto applications that are deeply embedded into the internet. Uh, what what do those applications look like? What do these new platforms look like? Uh, what does it look like as uh, things like AI and misinformation, unfortunately, I think continue to to, to get worse? Um, what does it look like as more institutions are running digitally? Uh, I think it becomes like a super important question, how we're going to govern and um, have control and have privacy in the context of these systems, which are like huge questions, but uh, things that, uh, you know, zero knowledge proofs are su well suited to solve and are very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And comparing Amina to other very privacy-focused projects uh, on the transactional side like Monero, but also on the base layer side like Secret Network, um, there has been some like a minor narrative that privacy has not really taken off. Uh, do you see the same at play also for Amina? I, I don't the reason for that. I, I think that like a lot of the technology that has showed up there has hasn't it's been either of like a very specific form. It's been like we're going to do privacy over transactions or it's been um, a little nascent like uh, the secure enclave stuff uh, has some issues with it. Uh, I, th I think that what we're seeing is, uh, is especially maybe it's like a, t a time now in, in crypto where crypto is getting more ready for it is there's a lot of applications that kind of want to be built. Um, things around identity, things around moving uh, offline, off-chain data, on-chain, um, things around uh, in private voting and other ways of private interaction that are, are kind of want to exist. And uh, uh, zero knowledge proofs do that in a way that has very, very strong guarantees uh, and are relatively easy to access uh, versus in the past, uh, a lot of this stuff was possible, but it would take a very long development cycle to realize any of these things. 
uh, whereas the uh, barrier to entry uh, is, is getting is getting much lower to programming with with the stuff. Yeah, and I think in the end, in terms of adoption, uh, convenience plays a huge role, right? The the biggest the biggest advantages in in privacy and uh, security of data comes when major players are switching their applications to a more uh, encrypted or secured version without the users in the end really noticing it. Maybe that's also a reason for why Monero, for example, is, is not taking off because it's just a huge barrier of entry plus the stigma um, associated with the, the focus on privacy. Yeah, I, I think um, it's it's like this this second generation of privacy stuff that's like, we're not just like doing private transactions, we're doing like private user information um, as input into larger Web3 applications that exactly right, yeah. Mm. How does the the ecosystem of Mina right now look like? Could you give us like a status update? Yeah. Um, so we have uh, when we launched the network, we had around six hundred and fifty uh, what we call Genesis members that like uh, received grants to help be block producers on the network. So we have a very large block producer community uh, of, of mostly individuals, which is cool. And we also have a growing uh, developer community. Uh, we just launched the uh, second cohort of this thing we're calling like ZK Apps Builders Program, which is like a uh, kind of early beta program to start playing with uh, the zero knowledge proof programmability we have. Uh, so, and then we're also uh, in the process of rolling out broader developer initiatives that will like uh, give like developers broadly opportunities to to get involved and build things. Could you give us a rough estimation on how many developers do you think uh, currently are working on Amina and all applications built upon it? Yeah, um, it depends. It depends how we count, but I think we would like come up with an answer of around between 100 and 200 people mm. um, that are like engaged in some more substantial way that are like spending, like, you know, a, a, at least like a third of their like time on on meter related things. Uh, and uh, yeah, for, for not fully having everything launched, I'm excited about that. Actually, it's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a cool thing. In terms of you already mentioned grants, right? Um, it, like one incentive for developers to switch over working on Mina, like what's your uh, what's your normal value proposition that you would put in there? Why should people come to Mina to build on it? Yeah. So, so one thing we haven't talked about, which is like important to mention is because Mina is so lightweight, not only can you verify it on your, your browser phone, but you can also verify it on other blockchains. So you can do a computation on Mina and then from Ethereum, you can uh, in a fully decentralized way say, uh, I have a, there's a particular smart contract on Ethereum. It's running Mina's consensus rules inside of it. And with that, you can access Mina's Merkle root of its dat database on, on Ethereum. And with that, uh, you can you can kind of be in this world where you can think of Mina as this L2 for privacy, where you can uh, take your existing application or even build a new application on Ethereum or some other EVM platform. And you can then build the privacy part on Mina uh, such that you can get all these zero knowledge proof features, but, but uh, without having to ship everything over to Mina. And so I, I think uh, if you're a developer, you should be thinking about it in two ways. One is like, it's this, this opportunity to bring 
these privacy features if you want to have some private computation or private data as part of your application um, by building part of it in Mina. Or if you want to like, you know, go completely zero knowledge proof and build something, you know, completely new, uh, you can also build it on, on Mina itself uh, and get access to like rollups and scalability and that kind of thing. So there's these two worlds you can be in. And yeah, that's, that's, that's how I would, that's part of the answer anyway, yeah. What is what in terms of um, of languages that are being used? Uh, are there there some some hurdles or or some yeah. benefits to it? So so um, this is something that like we thought a lot about, and so so what we are doing is um, programming zero knowledge proofs for Mina is all in JavaScript or TypeScript. Uh, and the way this is accomplished is there is this library we've built, which allows you to effectively program little zero knowledge proof programs uh, through this library just in TypeScript. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's pretty clean, actually. So if you've tried other zero knowledge proof frameworks and you've been like, oh, like this is either like confusing or it's like a new programming language or whatever, we've like really tried to to, to make it so you can play with this library and get a lot of these benefits. Um, so if you know TypeScript, you're, you're kind of, it, it's, it's a, you should be able to, to, to build some of the stuff. Got it. And uh, judging from how Mina can actually complement Ethereum and it's not competing in a way, uh, I presume you were also, uh, yeah, like very much looking forward to the merge and, um, I don't know, were you, were you part of the live stream or how did you follow that through? Mostly just Twitter. I missed, I missed the live stream. But um, no, super, it's super exciting. I think um, uh, Mina was originally uh, like in like day zero proof of work before we like realized, oh man, like it's probably, it's probably not great from a like security perspective, from a uh, energy perspective. And so we, we launched with proof of stake. And um, I think like it's super exciting to see that idea like fully have traction and and really be cutting down energy usage, which is, which is really good. I think also like it's the correct security. I think there's security reasons as well. I know this is like controversial somewhat, but um, I think there's good reasons why um, this is good from a security perspective for the ecosystem. So uh, I yeah, it's, it's a good move. Got it. So um, the you would describe the relationship as symbiotic. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Short answer, yes. OK. Um, because uh, one other thing coming back like to the staking and decentralization part is um, if you are going on staking rewards and, and check the data uh, for Mina, it has almost 22,000 validators and more than let's say 600 of these have produced more than one block. So if you compare these to the size of validators for other blockchains, you can say that uh, Mina is very strongly decentralized, which is like uh, already a proof of the initial outset. Um, did you expect it that decentralization would work out so well there? And uh, in general, what other reasons would you say contribute to this factor of media being so in, in terms of staking and uh, proof of stake so well decentralized? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we always hoped that, that we would get to this point at some stage. And it's great to see we have. 
um, I think that it just it's very it's there's there's no barriers like there's no there's no um there's no cap number of validators. Uh, it's cheap to one run one of these nodes relatively. Um, there's no there's no slashing. Uh, you know you just produce your block or you don't and you miss the opportunity. Um, there's there's no bonding. You can just stake. Um, so, so there's all these things that make it really easy to lower the barrier to entry. Uh, I'm actually hopeful. Uh, I think that right now the priority should be on programmability and privacy. Um, but I'm actually excited to see what we can do to increase those numbers. So I think they're like super good, but um, I, ideally we would reach a place where almost anyone is is running is is helping secure the network uh, and uh, participating in the consensus. I think. Do you do you see any challenges uh, challenges on the horizon for proof of stake in general? I. I think that um, if you there's, I, I think that if you're not um, have a succinct blockchain like like we are, you have this problem of uh, uh, there there are um, shortcuts to having cheaper. Uh, the, the, there are uh, trade offs you can make in verification, uh, which don't involve verifying the whole chain, but making some assumptions that. Uh, are slightly weaker, and I think uh, th those kind of intermediate solutions won't won't be as secure. And uh, things need to transition to being fully succinct, like like Minas. Uh, I I think um, also I think one of the bigger challenges I see is uh, uh, how to ensure that staking becomes or remains more democratic. Instead of uh, converging on uh, a small number of holders of capital, like, like I think we're seeing right now, like with Ethereum, there's maybe like two or three parties that are, you know, it's maybe better than proof of work. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, I used that. I just wanted to jump in uh, to give a shout out to our uh, user base and and uh, especially people commenting on. YouTube and uh, actually I would uh, pick up some of the questions posed there and yeah please uh, feel free to to add more questions there um, to ask you those questions so let me briefly go through um, if that's fine for you even let me yeah find... that's good okay um, Gercek Kryptochu asks, what is the vision of MENA protocol and where do you see MENA protocol in the future? Uh, what is the killing feature of MENA that excites you? I think we already covered that, but um, if you if you could just nail it down, let's say with three um, bullet points. Yeah, I, I think like ideally in the future, uh, we will be in a place where crypto is like extremely democratic and democratically governed uh, and we can rebuild all the existing applications and new applications on top of crypto in ways that are broadly inclusive and accessible and governed by their users. And I think like it's our like ambition to like play a part in helping making that happen. Uh, either by, you know, doing it ourselves, helping other chains whatever we can. Uh, so that's, that's like the vision and goal. I think the, like the place we need to plan to contribute right now is around pushing the boundaries on decentralization and user inclusion and offering privacy for users so that, they can they can, they can have their rights respected uh, when they're operating on these platforms. Got it. 
Pete Graham uh, asks, any updates on light client nodes? Yeah. Um, it, it depends how you think about them. Like in some sense, like all the you know, nodes are like fairly, fairly light. Um, but they're, uh, the actual one that runs in the browser is being worked on. And I would expect that like the programmability stuff will roll out first. Um, but they're like the, the flow being worked on is it's effectively going to be either like something running in MetaMask or like a MetaMask replacement that is running a Mina node in your browser. Um, it's being worked on. <laughs> That's the update. Got it. And uh, Mutsafa is asking on the bridge program uh, whether it is uh, still scheduled to be on time or uh, whether you anticipate delays there. It should be um, released like around the time of like the hard fork, it looks like. Um, and it's it's getting audited right now. It's, it's pretty far along. Uh, depends on like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's like coming along and on track, I would say. Got it. Um, then we have questions about uh, supercharged. Uh, let me see. Could you comment yeah. on that? Supercharged rewards. Yeah, so we have like, uh, Mina has like higher uh, rewards turned on right now uh, for mm -hmm. the launch, but uh, these will stop after the hard work. Uh, so this, this is uh, the last, last period where the supercharged rewards are taking place. Got it. And yeah, then switching back from the community question, so to say, to my questions, let me um, go back to that. And uh, yeah, please feel free to ask additional questions. We will have some time in the end to also cover these. Um, maybe more on the personal side. What were your biggest personal learnings working in the industry? Um, I always like to ask about uh, one, let's say, instance that changed your view on anything inside the crypto industry in a major way. Oh, let's see. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, I think for one, like uh, I, I've, I, I think I kind of came into running a crypto company with a, you know, kind of more standard view on uh, company structure and hierarchy on uh, on how to build organizations. And I think that like I'm in a place now where I believe in something much more uh, democratic, uh, where the processes and structures you set up are vital. Like you can't just have like a um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, anarchy, but uh, you can build structures that uh, really involve people in like a a much more participatory way. And so like, I think that's like kind of, it's influenced blockchain things also. Um, and I think that like, uh, I've seen like, a, a, I guess like that, that experience has like, I felt like uh, there's like an opportunity there for, for crypto to like do more of that. Um, so I'm like really excited about it. Um, and I see ways in which the industry is trying to do it too, but there's also a lot of places where it's not. So there's like this, this, uh, I think the industry is like kind of figuring that out. Um, and, uh, I think like I've also developed stronger opinions on it over time, if, if that makes sense. Got it. And now Jamie T is asking a question that I also would like to ask you. Uh, and that's basically, are you coming to the staking summit 2022 
in uh, Lisbon this year, November 8th, hosted by Stake and Rewards. Maybe, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Great, let's do it after the show. Um, then on the, the let's, let's say, wrapping it up, yeah? What's the best way to follow you for the latest developments on Mina and everything else you're working on? I think two places to go. One is Twitter, like Mina Protocol and like Evan A. Shapiro, my handle, like are, are two ways to uh, keep in touch with like new programs, things that we're running, updates on the project. Uh, so check that out. There's like lots of updates flying around all the time. The other place is the Discord. If you want to um, uh, like become a developer, you want to become like a block producer. We have like a big community of people that are like really helpful. And if you just like show up for those channels and you like just poke around, you'll see lots of ways to get involved. So either the Discord, which you probably get to from our website, munaprotocol.com, or our Twitter are the best places to go. All right. And to everyone watching, please uh, help out the channel by hitting the like and subscribe button and subscribe to our channel. You can check out our previous episodes of Staking Mondays available on YouTube and Spotify. And let us know in the comment section who you would like to see next on Staking Mondays. For even and the audience, I'm Marian. As always, happy staking. Thank you, Even. Thank you.